Good morning, Father, and how I thank you for the blessing of another day. Another day to spend here with you and family and friends. Another day to hopefully grow closer to you. I pray for your blessing on this time, on the uh, clash going on with, uh, with the uh, women's Sunday school, on the teens that are downstairs, the youngsters, wherever they might be, whatever is going on, I just ask for your blessing on each and every one that's here. And I ask you, too, to reach out to those that for whatever reason are not here this morning and bless them also. And now may the words of my heart and the meditation of my mind be always acceptable in your sight, O God, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Uh, let's see. We want to try to remember this every week. I just thought I'll Yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, it's it's not that it's so much, but a little bit helps and a little bit gets used for God's glory. All right, we're going to start today on chapter 6 of Isaiah. If you want to follow along, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Just for a second, I want to go back to verse 3. The whole earth was filled with his glory. Just look out the window for a minute. How, how can anyone, how can anyone question the existence of God when we see an example like we have today of his glory. Oh, thank you, Lord, for another day. Now, again, we read of a vision from God as seen by Isaiah. Matthew Henry feels that this vision was meant for two reasons. First, to confirm to Isaiah that he was God's prophet without any doubt. And he was to be satisfied of the truth of those things that God was about to make known to him. God initiated this vision. But it wasn't meant to imply that Isaiah needed to receive a vision each time he heard from God. 
each time he, God revealed to him what he wanted to, Isaiah to pass on to the people. Again, it was meant to confirm his calling to be a prophet. And you remember that God had likewise appeared to Abraham as a God of glory in Genesis 17, verses 1 through 22. I'm not going to ask you to read it now, but you might go back to that. And he appeared also to Moses in Exodus 3, verses 2 through 6. If someone wants to read that. Exodus 2, excuse me, Exodus 3, verses 2 through 6. And remember, at this time also, God told him to take off his shoes. He was standing on holy ground. And I don't know how many of you have noticed, but Pastor Parmar, whenever he's on the platform, he removes his shoes. Such a symbol of you know, we're standing on holy ground. And uh, Ezekiel's prophecies and John's account of the revelation both begin with visions of the divine glory. If someone would read Ezekiel chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Ezekiel chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Yes. And then in Revelations, chapter 1, verse 8, he heard, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. And also in uh, Revelation 4, verses 1 and 2.
remember those verses as we get on with our study this morning. And secondly, God used a vision to enforce upon Isaiah that he would be filled with such reverence for God that he would be strengthened to perform his duties as God's prophet. In order to teach others the knowledge of God, prophets, pastors, and teachers must themselves be acquainted with God. I have to stop here and interject the impact these words are having on me. My very ability to continue with these classes as a teacher is in question. If I don't know God well, then I have no right to be teaching others about God. I truly want to be teaching, to be sharing God's word with all of you and growing in the knowledge of him. I realize how unworthy I am because of my sins. But God, in his great, unimaginable mercy and grace, gives me the knowledge that this is what he wants me doing at this point in my life. At the same time, though, I feel a great urging in my heart to really get to know him better. Please, in your prayer times, remember me and ask God to continue working on my heart and mine and indeed on my very being that I may grow closer to him and everything I attempt to do while I am still here on earth. As I was reading, I was wondering why it was so important for us to know when Isaiah saw his vision from God, saying, in the year that King Uzziah died. I checked, and this was approximately 740 B.C. So it gives us kind of a timeline for when Isaiah was prophesying. And certainly it gives us an idea of the historical timing. But I feel there's a much more important reason. King Uzziah had ruled for 50 years or more. And he was one of the most respected and honorable of the kings of Judah. And now he has died. If you, if you remember reading through Kings 1 and 2, how so few of them brought honor to God. How few of them cared for their people. And now he's died. For the most part, Uzziah had been a good king for the kingdom of Judah. But he died of leprosy. 
because he had tried to take over the high priest's duties in the temple. If you turn, please, to Second Chronicles 26, verses 16 to 21. Second Chronicles 26, verses 16 through 21. Even the best, even the best of the kings, even the best of people, after they get to the point where they are so proud in what they've accomplished and lose sight of what God has done, set themselves up for horrible failure. I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of people with leprosy. But it's so so disquieting to, to see. You know, you know, just gradually losing. I'll just use your hands for example. Just just gradually. Less and less of their fingers are there. And it's, that's just the example of their hands. But for defying God and his ordinance in the temple, then all the good things that Uzziah did have come to nothing. God had given Uzziah great prosperity and power, but like many others that are so blessed, he became proud and corrupt. Remember that Proverbs 16, verse 18 said, Pride 
goeth before destruction. If God blesses us with wealth or power or influence or popularity, we should be very thankful, but we need to be careful because God hates pride. It's normal to feel good about accomplishing something, even, even to feel proud of our good work. But if we start feeling that we have done well on our own and don't rely on God for direction and guidance, we are treading on thin ice. As I was typing this, I was reminded of a time, uh, no, several times, growing up along the banks of the Farmington River in Pine Meadow. That's the little town, part of New Hartford, right over the hill here. Pat was a year older than me, and stronger, and of course, much smarter. He had convinced me that if we ran fast enough across the first ice that formed on a small cove in the Farmington River, we could avoid getting wet. So we ran down the dike that formed along the river to control flooding. So we ran down the dike to the edge of the river and then ran even faster as we started out onto the ice. And as you can imagine, we always got wet. No amount of repeated attempts on our part, and we did. None of them were successful. Bottom line is stay off the ice wherever it appears. Yes, King Uzziah died, and there was reason for concern as to who the next king might be. But Isaiah saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. His vision demonstrated that although King Uzziah had died, that God shall reign forever. Kings and other earthly important men die, and their glory fades. But God is everlasting, ever living. His glory is everlasting, and God still sits on a throne. However, as I'm reading, Isaiah seems to be, not to be saying he saw Jehovah God seated on, seated on the throne, but rather he says he saw the Lord. Well, wait a minute. The only reference I can find to sitting on the throne is of Jesus, not the Father. As I thought about this, I realize that there are no references to seeing God the Father. In fact, seeing him meant instant death. So he appeared to Moses in a cloud. And if, as we all believe, Jesus left heaven to be born as a baby here on earth, 
Then when he ascended, he was once again seated on his throne. That has to be why Isaiah says he saw the Lord sitting on the throne. I believe without any theological backing, but I believe he saw Jesus before his incarnation sitting on his throne. What a revelation that was to me. And I say, thank you, God. And pastor, yes. Yeah. Th thank you, Pastor. <sighs> I still have my job. <laughs> this throne, which is high and lifted up, is above all other thrones, earthly or heavenly. We must view this throne and the Lord that sits upon it as above all others. No matter how much we may honor or worship those idols we set up here on earth, we dare not place anything or anyone high enough to block our vision of the Lord seated on his throne. This glorious throne before which we will all one day worship, this throne of government, before which we must be in obedience, this throne of grace, to which we may come boldly, because our Lord and Savior Jesus, the Christ, sits there. One of my favorite songs, and one I shared with my niece the day before she died, I asked her not to make fun of my singing, but what a day that will be. Just the chorus. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. When I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. When he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land. What a day, glorious day that will be. Isaiah continues uh, referring to the temple, which was a prophecy of his, in this case, I'm talking about Jesus coming in all his glory and his new Jerusalem, which will be all of us that believe. We are the new Jerusalem. We are the church, and his church filled, enriched, and beautified by his eternal presence. And above the throne, Isaiah saw the seraphim, waiting on the Lord and his every command 
who covered their face or eyes and their feet. They covered their eyes because even they also were unable to look on his dazzling glory. And they covered their feet, the parts of the body which are less honorable. If the angels who attend Jesus show such reverence, with what fearful boldness must we approach his throne one day? I understand and believe as we are taught that one day we may approach his throne of grace boldly. But we need to demonstrate greater humility and reverence than that boldness might suggest. I believe I will be so grateful just to be in his presence that nothing else will matter. Nothing. Nothing I've done or nothing I haven't done. Just to be in his presence. So overwhelming. Not only did Isaiah see Jesus high and lifted up upon his throne, but also that his train, the skirts of his robes, filled the temple. Now his temple is a whole earth. His church. As heaven is his throne, the earth, his church, is his footstool. Both filled with his glory, the glory of his presence. John, in the revelation of Jesus that he received and recorded for us, saw and heard the multitude singing, Holy, holy, holy. Just as Isaiah heard the seraphim singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The holiness of Almighty God his most glorious attribute has to give all of us believers such joy that we cannot properly express ourselves. His power, however, without his holiness would be a terror to all of us. His power without his holiness would be a terror to all of us. Something for you to think about as I've been thinking. He is three times holy, infinitely holy, perfectly holy, and eternally holy. He was, is, and will always be holy. The Jews thought that the glory of God should only be for them. But Isaiah tells us that the whole earth is filled with his glory. There is a promise of God's grace, mercy, and forgiveness for every one of us if we believe. Holiness means morally perfect. 
pure and set apart from all sin. We need to discover God's holiness for ourselves so that our daily experiences, society's pressures, and our shortcomings don't reduce, don't reduce our view of God. We need the Bible's view of God as high and lifted up to lift us up out of our problems and concerns. God's moral perfection, properly seen, purifies us from sin, cleanses our mind from our problems, and enable us, enables us to worship and serve him. His moral perfection, properly seen, purifies us from sin, cleanses our mind from our problems, and enable us, enables us to worship and serve him. And finally, in these verses, there are evidences of the power of God's voice in directing his angels, and that the strong posts of the doors were shaken, and the temple was filled with smoke, so that none could see clearly. Matthew Henry feels that these were warnings of the destruction Israel was soon to face at the hands of the Babylonians and later the Romans. If only his chosen people would have obeyed. If only our world would obey. Next verses, then said I, this is Isaiah, not Jim, then said I, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphim unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thy, thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, here am I, send me. In his humility, Isaiah regarded his unworthiness to be in the very close association with God that he found himself, knowing that he, like all of us, is a sinner, and therefore not worthy of finding himself in such closeness with the Lord. If it wasn't for Jesus and his love for us, how many of us could feel comfortable being so close to the Lord as Isaiah found himself? 
With his words, he knew he had offended God. How about you and me? Have we spoken the language of unclean lips? Unclean lips reflect an unclean heart. And our hearts are what we will be judged by. The first thing or habit of mine that God had me change when I came to know him as Lord and Savior was my language. It was, it was so obvious. I was so convicted that I had a sign made that I attached to the cash register at Tripp's Sporting Goods and Variety Store, which I had just purchased down on Willow Street in Torrington. The sign read, and it still reads, somewhere I still have it, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. Please do not use his name in vain. And also please refrain from crude or vulgar language. Thank you. And it was signed, Jim Sadler. It was, it was right there. I, I could spend all day telling you things that happened. But people came to tears when they were checking out. I always remember one kind of rough guy, kind of reminded me of someone I knew. And he came in and said, oh, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. Please, please don't use his name in vain. And he stopped. I believe that rough and tumble guy was touched in the heart at that time. Now, this is not me, but it's what God brought me to do as he convicted me of unclean words. Now, the angels or the seraphim celebrated the purity and holiness of God in their conversation. How can we compare with the angels that serve God? Is our conversation pure? Does it reflect a heart filled with faith as we like to claim? We need to be so very concerned. No, more than concerned. We need to be terrified that one day, by our words, we shall be justified or condemned. We also, like Isaiah, live with people of unclean lips. And rather, at least speaking for myself, and rather than doing our best to convince others of their sinful words and habits, we tend just just let it go, not make any mention. Many in Isaiah's day had learned the way of the ungodly and spoken like them, unknowingly or uncaring about the judgment they would soon face. And I'm going to put a mark there and 
we'll pick up from there next week. Uh, chapter six is probably going to take us at least one more, at least one more Sunday, one more class. We want to take time now, Pastor. If you're ready, we we take time now for our prayer requests and comments.